Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Take your Bible, if you've got your Bible. We're in Acts chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible today, that's fine. Inside your program, you'll see the verses. And you can follow along with those. We'll put them up on the screen to help you out here. But if you've got your Bible, it's just kind of fun to mark in it and see where we're at. Acts chapter 23, here we're going to go. We're going to pick up and we're going to just kind of see that regardless of whether or not we see God, regardless of whether or not we see God, God is still working and sometimes it's behind the scenes. Is God working? Yep, you better believe God is still working and he hasn't quit on any of us. And sometimes it's just behind the scenes and we just don't see it. Just because the fact that we don't see it doesn't mean that he's not working. Okay, church? So let's take a look at the story. And there's a lot of verses to cover today. We're picking up on our story here and we're just literally going verse by verse. So here we go. Uh, Well, I'll tell you, let me back up just real quick. As you remember, do you remember the story? Paul said, I need to go to Jerusalem. And God's spirit laid in his heart, go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. Do you remember that? And what does, the, what does the pastor of the church there say? <laughs> if you go into that temple, you're going to have problems. They're going to tear you up. He goes, I really feel like I need to go. And he goes into the temple, and he preaches Jesus to the people in the temple in Jerusalem there. And what happens? A riot breaks out. They're literally got him, you know, beating this guy up, tearing him shred to shred. And, and, and the, the, the soldiers come from the fortress nearby, and they grab him and say, we got to make this guy safe, okay? And they take him, and Paul has a chance to say, listen, I just want to take a moment to tell you who I am and what I'm doing. And, and, and he gives his testimony and says, I'm preaching about the Messiah. That's all I'm doing is I'm preaching about the coming Messiah. So with that in mind, here we go, verse 12. Ready? Here we go. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse. So they took like an oath or a vow saying, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. <laughs> okay, so pause for a second. We think it's bad enough already, right? I mean, Paul just got put in jail, right? And, and, and he's getting beat up and there's riots breaking out. And now a bunch of people get together and say, you know what? He dies or we die. <laughs> All right, life is going great. <laughs> and, and poor Paul, verse 13. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So 40 of these people got together and said, we're going to starve ourselves, and either we die or he dies. Verse 14. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. So curious here, guys, real quick. Let's just ask this question. There's 40 guys that get together and say, we're not going to eat at all until this guy's killed. Just just curious. How long do you think that vow lasted? Oh, I don't know. Probably a couple hours. <laughs> Interesting to note, Paul doesn't die until about 10 years later. Nowhere it's recorded in Scripture that these 40 guys died. I imagine the vow probably didn't last long, knowing, knowing uh, men. <laughs> we you know, probably got a little hungry towards dinner time. But church, let me just say this as we stop on that for a moment. Just be careful what you promise. Okay, Be careful what you vow. Christians, can I give you a little help here? Don't ever, don't ever say, I promise I'll do. You get yourself in trouble with that. How how about like this? I'll never. Really? I think sometimes we say that. I'll never, and God's up there going, really? Okay. 
my, uh, my boys, I'm going to tell my boys, this is going to cost me a little bit, probably going to cost me 20 bucks or so each today to say this, but it's worth it. Um, my boys will talk to me and they'll say, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, so what about so-and-so, you know, girl, whatever like that, you know, maybe she your girlfriend? And they'll say, I'll never date her. And my wife and I look at each other and just kind of smile and like, yeah, she's probably going to be our daughter-in-law. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you just don't say never. I mean, you know. My wife said that when she was in high school. I'll never date that Rehoff guy. And here she is, and God's laughing at the hair. <laughs> but you just never say that. Verse 15, now therefore you with the council signify the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. So there's 40 guys that are ready to kill who? They're ready to kill the Apostle Paul. Now just pause on that for a moment. Do you, what do you think Paul's thinking? Hello, hello God, where are you, right? Now church, have you ever had 40 people, 40 people that are ready to kill you? You may have one or two people at work or your neighborhood that don't like you, but have you ever had a gang of 40 people saying, either you die or we die? So just take a moment, just look around the room, just look, everyone, just, I want you to look around the room, I want you to kind of in your mind count out 40 people-ish Okay, get a section. Now imagine that section is after you and they're ready to kill you. We have a hard time grasping that, right? But there's 40 real people that are really trying to kill this one person. <laughs> Church, is interesting as we look at the story. Obviously, if, if you're in the will of God, God's going to protect you and God's going to take care of you. Okay, it just don't worry about that. You know, just do what God says to do. People say, well, pastor, what's God's will? Well, God's will is pretty easy. God's will is just do the next right thing. All right? So whatever the next right thing that you're supposed to do, just do it. And you can pretty much confidently pretty much say, well, I think I'm in God's will. But, but you know, I think it's interesting, too, those people that say, well, I, I want to be like Christ. Well, if you want to be someone that's like Christ, and you want to be like Christ, and you want to be in God's will, then, then always, listen, church, always make your decisions about what you're going to do, where you're going to go, who you're going to hang out with. Always make those decisions that get you closer to the things of God, Okay? Don't do things that get you farther from the will of God. Right? I tell that to people that are going to Bible college, or people that are going to be missionaries. So you want to be in mission work? Yeah, I want to serve Christ. I want to go to the mission field. Well, then every decision that you make, move closer to being with God. Move closer to ministry. Don't move farther away from ministry. If there's a ministry opportunity, you move closer towards it. Don't, don't move farther away from it. Right? If you want to be in God's will, move closer toward it. And, 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 you know, I always hear people say, well, I'm a follower of Christ. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm glad that you say you're a follower of Christ. But what does a follower of Christ look like? A follower of Christ is someone that serves, okay? Think about the New Testament. It described Jesus Christ. How does it describe him? He took upon himself the form of a servant. So when you look at Jesus Christ, you saw someone who rolled up their sleeves and served other people. You want to be like Jesus? You want to be a follower of Christ? Then serve. That, that, that's it. I mean, is it that simple? K- kind of, yeah. <laughs> but, but Christ was a person that, that always served people. I want to be just like Jesus. What would Jesus do? I'll tell you exactly what Jesus would do. Every time the doors were open at his church, he would have gone to church. Every time there's an opportunity to evolve and get served and, and hand out a gospel tract, Jesus would do it. So what would Jesus do? 
It's pretty easy. Jesus would always take an opportunity to serve other people. Jesus would always take an opportunity to give the gospel or serve uh, in, in a local church. That's what Jesus would do because that's what he was. He took upon himself the form of a servant. So, so back to our story here. So, so Paul here, boy, he's in a mess. There's 40 people here that are ready to kill him. And, and is God working? Uh, I think the story that we're going to see here, starting with verse 16, is actually pretty cool. It's a story that it's a really good chance you didn't even know it was in the book of Acts unless you really read through the book of Acts because it's just a couple sentences, but it's kind of interesting. Let's take a look. Verse 16, and when Paul's sister's son, so pause for a second. Paul obviously had a sister, and we, don't, we didn't know about that till now. She obviously lived in Jerusalem. We didn't know about that till now either, did we? And she obviously has a son, which would have been Paul's what? His nephew. We didn't know about that till now either. And when Paul's sister's son, his nephew, heard of their lying in wait, so the sister's son hears there's people that are going to kill Paul. Okay, he hears this news, this, this little kid. Now, I, 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 how old was he? Well, I don't think he's a high schooler because it refers to him later on that they take his hand and they walk with him. I don't think you'd grab an 18-year-old. You know, he's, I'm, I'm going to guess. Here's my guess. And, and I don't think he's, you know, he's not two years old. I'm thinking he's old enough to go run around to the temple, old enough to, to, to hear something and deal with it. Probably junior higher, something like that, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13. That's what my guess is. I could be wrong, but that's what my guess is. And, 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 and this boy who we don't hear about ever again, <laughs> we never heard about him before, but he hears this news and God uses this kid, this little boy, to bring this news which very well could have saved Paul's life. Now let's look at the story, verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So, so the boy goes to Paul and says, Paul, these guys are going to kill you. You know, probably tomorrow they're going to kill you. And Paul says, okay, go tell. Go tell the, the chief, you know, this chief guard, the, the head centurion. Go tell him this news. You know, now, can we just stop on that? I got I to stop on that for a moment because that's interesting. Here, here's what Paul didn't say. Now I'm going to get in trouble on this, but Paul didn't say this. Paul didn't say, okay now little nephew, don't tell anybody that, let's just keep it a secret. Right? He also didn't say this, church. Okay, now let's just pray about it. He, he didn't. Right? Here's one thing that I'm noticing that Paul has. Paul has really good common sense. Have you noticed that? Like, like whenever there's a chance, Paul uses his common sense to try to get himself. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be a martyr, right? He's not trying to be a martyr. He's not, you know, I mean, if you're sick, what do you do? You go to the hospital. He's using common sense here. If I'm in jail, the goal here is to what? To get out of jail. <laughs> if people are going to kill me, the goal is to what? To stay alive. And he uses common sense. Church, sometimes, you know, we over-spiritualize something and just try to be, you know, real whatever spiritual with it. Sometimes it's just not a spiritual thing. It's just common sense. I, I know a pastor um, who is, is a very small church, and his church is, is actually kind of, unfortunately, it's kind of dying. It's kind of going on the way down. And, and he's basically running out of money and to where he just tried to help him, but he just doesn't have any money. And I told him, I said, well, before you starve to death and your family starves to death, why don't you go get a job? Now, now church, is that, is that really complicated? I mean, that's that's called common sense in my book, right? You don't have money, you need that money, right? <laughs> you know, go get a job. Your church is small, it's dying. You, know, just, you can still preach, but just get a job. And he tells me this. He says, no, no, God called me to preach. He didn't call me to work. Okay. 
then call me when you're starving. <laughs> and that donation I was going to make, I'm taking it back now. <laughs> that, that's not common sense. That's stupidity. Now, church, listen, when we started this church, we didn't, have any, we didn't have any church that wrote a check for this or, you know, supported us. What I did when I started this church is I went and I got a job. And I worked a lot of hours. I was a consultant for a marketing company. Uh, that was my background. And I did it. And, and, and that's how we paid our bills for a very, very long time. And there's a lot of times that I didn't know how we are going to pay our bills. I didn't know we are going to pay our mortgage. I didn't know if we are going to be able to put gas in the car. I didn't know. I mean, honestly, are we going to have enough food? The church was so small. It was starting out. There was no, I was not getting any pay from the church. It wasn't like, you know, we had this blank check. It's like we're trying to just pay for the hotel rent, you know, and, and trying to just put macaroni and cheese on the plate. And, and I worked. And I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked. And I just did a lot of hours. I remember my busiest week that I had. I was a consultant and I'd bill hours. The busiest week in the middle of starting the church, I billed 75 hours at work. Wow. And then I got up and preached on Sunday. And you say, Pastor, I know I was there that Sunday. We heard you. It wasn't that great. <laughs> but, but church, it's not about being super spiritual or anything like that. It's just kind of using common sense. I'm kind of getting the point that, that I'm just feeling like common sense isn't too common anymore. Amen? It, it's just, hello, I mean, just sometimes you're just kind of wondering, like, you know, why, what are people thinking? When common sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, okay? Sometimes you don't have to over-spiritualize it. Well, God called me to preach. Well, God also called you to take care of your family, too. You know, don't over-spiritualize stuff sometimes, okay? Just use common sense. Verse 18, so he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me, to bring this young man unto thee and has something to say to thee. So we got this kid. He's got something to tell you. And the chief captain took him by the hand. That's why I think he's younger, right? And went with him aside privately. So come over here. We need to talk. And asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? What's so important here? And he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though he would require something of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them for there lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking a promise for thee. So he's telling the stories. Listen, if you bring him out, just, you know, you bring him on a horse, just bring him down there. They're going to they're gonna gang up on him. They're going to kill him. Verse 22. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him. So said, said to the little guy here, See thou tell no man what thou hast showed these things to me. <laughs> now why does he say that? Is there something deep here? No, here's why. Because we're going to see later in the passage, I think the centurion's just trying to take credit. Because he's going he's to use it when he goes to his boss to say, look what I came up with, right? So I think he's just, it, there's politics, there's office politics 2,000 years ago, right? Verse 23, and he called unto him two centurions, say, make ready, now get this, 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen three score and ten, and spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night. And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. So if you do the math real quick and add up those people right there in that passage, I come up with 470 men to watch one guy whose name is Paul. (laughs) Could you imagine that? 400, all this to protect Paul. I mean, could you, they just didn't want any problems back then. You know, the Romans are like saying, we're going to give this guy a military escort. You know, think about this, think about this for a moment. I bet you Paul probably use that as a really great opportunity because now think now think they put paul up on a horse there's 470 soldiers around paul and the soldiers are probably on their horse going we're we're protecting you i mean 
you're blind as a bat. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you probably couldn't run. I mean, what, who are you? What is so important about you that it takes 470 people to watch you? And I bet you Paul just said this, well, I'm not saying. <laughs> now, I bet you Paul used that whole ride to talk to all those guys. I mean, I, I doesn't say it, but I'm sure Paul didn't keep quiet. He was probably saying, well, let me tell you exactly what it was happening. If we look over the book of Philippians, over if you're to flip to the right, book of Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote a letter to the church there, and he says this about, about, about the situation. He says this, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. The problems that I've had are because I preached the gospel. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. I think he's talking about this time here. So the reason that, that I'm in jail here, it, it, everyone knows about it. The whole palace, all the guards, everyone knows it. Verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, now look at the rest of the next five words, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of what I've had to go through, Paul's saying, because of the problems that I've had to endure, because of the fact that, that I've been thrown in jail, because of the fact that I'm in handcuffs and I'm being escorted by 470 soldiers to go to the governor, you know what? That's made all the other Christians around me more bold to preach the gospel. The fact that I'm bold has helped people get bold around me. Church, I think that's a wonderful example by Paul. I think that's just a good, a good thing. I think that Paul was just setting an example. And, and I think any room that Paul would go into... He'd tell people about Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul would sit around and wait for people to tell him something. I think Paul just told people about the good news of the gospel. Are we bold like that? The one thing that we need to pray for as Christians is boldness, especially as we see these days approaching. We don't need to be less bold, church. We need to be more bold. We need to be not afraid to be a Christian. We need to be not afraid to open up the Bible and say, well, this is what God says. And I think Paul made a really good example for us. Go back to verse 25. So, so here it goes, the captain, that captain we were talking about, he writes a letter to Felix, verse 25, and he wrote a letter after this manner. So it's not exactly what he said, but, but the author of Acts here, Luke, says this is basically what he said. The, 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 notice the politics in this letter. It's kind of drippy here. Here's the letter to the governor. It says this, verse 26, Claudius Lysias, under the most excellent governor, Felix sendeth greetings. Gag. <laughs> Verse 27, this man was taken of the Jews, talking about Paul, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Pause. Do you remember our story? He didn't know he was a Roman. Do you remember that story? He thought he was some Egyptian. Do you remember how they were going to have Paul like flogged and beaten? And then Paul says, excuse me, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. This is like the worst, pol- this is like political garbage going on right here, verse 28. And when I would have known the cause, therefore they accused him, I brought him forth under their counsel, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, of course I'm going to forget to mention that it was a little kid that told me this, but anyways, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him farewell. That's basically the end of his letter. Verse 31, then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. On the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle, who, when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. So they bring him to the governor, give him the letter. When the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and when he understood that he was of Sicilia, 
I will hear thee, said he, when thy accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. So that's kind of an interesting story so far. He makes it all the way to the governor. Now, can we pause just for a moment and just kind of think about this? Who, who did God use to get Paul out of jail? Did he use some great angel with swords and guns and dynamite? No, what did he use? He used a little kid. He used some little kid that was young enough that the soldier had to grab him by the hand and help walk with him. It wasn't even probably a teenager, but God uses anyone. God uses everyone. You know, it's interesting to think about this. God can use anyone he wants to to accomplish his will. Have you ever thought about that? And not that God causes anybody to do it, but God in his foreknowledge, he foreknows what's going to happen. He can use his foreknowledge because he knows every possibility of every human being that ever lived. You know, whether you're going to go to the left or you're going to go to the right, God knows all that. He uses his foreknowledge to accomplish his will. We can't grasp that because we have no concept of how deep that is. Sometimes people say, well, God causes it. Well, God doesn't cause because God gives people his free will. Don't confuse foreknowledge with forecausing. He didn't force the little kid to do it. He knew the little kid would hear this. He knew the little kid saw this. And, and he knew the little kid would go and do this. But, but he used this. Now, now let's just kind of think about the people that God has used in our story so far. So God used the church, do you remember Pastor James, to get him to go to the temple to preach. He used the mob to get him to go to jail. He used the army to get him to safety. He used the kid to get him out of jail. He uses the sentry to give him safety on his trip. And he used the government's laws to get him where? To Rome. Do you remember way back in our story, we looked back a few chapters ago? Paul said, man, someday I'd like to go to Rome. And I'd like to just go to Rome and preach the gospel. And God's up there in heaven going, you're going to get to Rome all right, but it ain't going to be first class. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now think, not just church, let's just think through it. Paul had to go through all these different scenarios, and God used all these different people, saved people and unsaved people, to accomplish his perfect will. And now not only is Paul going to be in Rome, but Paul's actually going to speak to the governor of Rome, Felix. Right? So not only does he just knock on the door and, and show up in the, in, in the area, but he's actually going to be involved in politics here, and he actually gets to speak to the governor. I think it's an amazing thing when we think about this, but God uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. God uses imperfect me and imperfect you to do his perfect will. God can use people. God just doesn't use just, you know, perfect saints and, and everyone that had their act together. God uses anybody and everyone. Let's take a look at this verse. We've got a few minutes. I want us to look at this verse. If you have your Bible, would you flip over to the right to the book of Ephesians? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Book of Ephesians. Ephesians. I can't find it. <laughs> Ephesians, there we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And now we all know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We, we have it right here on our wall. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we oftentimes don't go to the next verse, which is verse 10. Verse 10 is a wonderful verse. I want us to look at this in light of what we talked about with God using anybody and God still working behind the scenes. It says, for we are his, take your pen and underline the next word, workmanship. 
workmanship. We are his workmanship. The word workmanship is an interesting word. The word is actually the word poema, which is the word we get our word for for poem. Let's read the beginning of that verse again. For we are his poem. Say, well, I never thought of it like that. Now, let's pause and just talk about a poem for a second. When I think of a poem, I oftentimes think of a song, because a song is really kind of like a poem put to music. But what is a poem? Or or even what is a song? It's a collection of different, what? Different thoughts, different things put together to make sense when it's all put together. But it doesn't make sense. If you were to think of your favorite song and just take one line out of your favorite song, you'd say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't make any sense, because the one line of the song may not make sense, but when you put it together as a complete song, then it makes sense. Same thing with a poem. If, if you thought of a poem, and, and I was never good at poetry, and, and I, I'm not even going to begin to recite anything. We had it in English class, and I was like, you know, haiku, waiku, what, what, this, what's the point? I mean, <laughs> you know. But if you just took one or two words out of a poem, you'd say, that just doesn't make any sense. But you have to put the whole thing together, and when the whole poem goes together, all these different thoughts come together, then it makes a poem, and it actually makes sense. So if we look at that verse again, and, and we see it, it says, we are his poem. Literally, we are God's working together of a poem. The different thoughts, the different uh, situations, the different moments in your life, the different people you run into, the different circumstances that you encounter. Those different things come together as a poem. God's poem. Now, interesting, it doesn't say our poem, right? We're not our own poem. We're not our own song. We're God's song. We, we literally are God's poem. And, and God's ways, God's thoughts, my Bible says, His ways are different. His ways are higher than us. We can't understand God's ways. I mean, there's just no way. We look back at the story about Paul, and we just say, boy, Paul, you are going to be in a huge mess here. This just doesn't make sense. How in the world is Paul ever going to get to Rome? Oh, no. Paul got grabbed by a whole bunch of soldiers. Oh, no, Paul's getting beaten up in a riot. This just isn't going to work. Paul, you're going to die. But we are God's song. We are God's poem. And the different elements, the different thoughts, the different ways that God's working through all these different people, whether it's the church in Jerusalem, whether it's the temple, whether it's, it's the, the four guys that are going to go to the temple to do a vow, whether it's the young kid that's going to help him get out of jail, whether it's his sister that has a young kid who allows him to go to the temple, or allows him to go to the jail, allows him to do these things. God uses those different pieces, the different parts of the poem for his poem to work things together for good. And, and sometimes, church, we get all worried about the details and how is this going to work? How is that going to happen? Well, church, sometimes we need to just sit back and just rest in the fact that it's, it's not our story. It's not our song. It's God's poem. It's God's story. Now, listen, I think it's good that we plan. I, and we plan for our Harvest Fest, right? And we plan and plan. And, and Luis plan and plan and plan. And Nancy and Tim plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. And we worked. We all worked, Right? But even last, even last Sunday, you know, we had a wonderful day at our Harvest Fest, and I'm glad, I'm really glad that we did it two weeks in a row here because I think the weather is going to really help us out today. But church, we plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, but guess what we don't control? We don't control the weather, do we? Right? There's just no way we control the weather, and the devil doesn't control the weather either. Who controls the weather? Our Heavenly Father controls the weather. 
So we work and work and we plan best we can, but still God provides the increase, right? We plant the seeds. Over 600 and so people heard the gospel last Sunday. Many, many, many people that you and I will never meet trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior last Sunday in the middle of the rain, okay? We plant the seed, God brings the harvest. God, God works in those people's hearts to get a ticket, to show up, even in the middle of the rain, to put the raincoats on, to say, come on, kids, we're doing this. God helps and works in those things, and, 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 and God uses those bits and pieces together to create a poem, to work through those things, to make an event even like that a great success. You know, I think about that. 600 people heard the gospel. You know, church, just, I mean, we just pause for that just for a moment. You know, we love doing the county fair. We think it's great that we get a few hundred people that hear the gospel at the county fair. This is probably going to be one of our biggest evangelistic events we've done to date, probably, outside of our luminary hike coming up this year at Christmas. I don't want to think about that. But, but we plan and plan and plan, but church, we, we can't, you know, we can forecast it, we can perceive, we can use our intuition, well, I think this. But that's our guessing, that's not the truth, okay? And we plan and plan and plan and plan, and we, we do what we can. But don't forget, God's still in charge. God's still in control, and God uses the rain, and, and the issue is never, you know, is God working? Did God forget about us? You know, oh, it rained. It's terrible. Oh, no, you know, did God forget about our event? Well, God is still working. The question is, are we responding? That's really what the question is. God's still working, but are you listening? Are you part of it? Are you participating in it? And are, are you responding to how God's working? Because look at the rest of that verse. Go, go look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his poem, his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Now look at those next three words. I want you to take your pen. I want you to underline those next three words. Created in Christ Jesus. Ready? Unto good works. You know, do you get that? Do you realize, church? Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. Good works are not essential for salvation. Do you see that? That's verse 9. You're saved apart from any good works. You are absolutely positively saved beyond a shadow of a doubt with absolutely positively no works on your part. Salvation is a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not yourselves. It's not your works. And the very next verse goes on to say this. Because you're God's poem, right? You're his song. He's working in you. How is he working in you? What does the verse say? How is he working in you? Through good works. Good works don't save you, church, at all. They positively don't save you. But you want to be like Christ? You want to be like Jesus? You want God to work in you? It's through good works that He works through you. How is the world going to know that you're a Christian? Look at the verse. By your good works. They will see what you're doing and they'll say, Oh, that's what a Christian does right? They'll say this, oh, that's how a Christian behaves at work. Oh, so, that's how a Christian behaves when they're confronted with a situation in a relationship. Oh, okay. Oh, that's what a Christian does on Sunday morning. They go to church. Oh, oh, okay. That's how a Christian dresses, right? Oh, I didn't know. That's the kind of movies that a Christian watches, I didn't know that. Oh, that's the kind of music a Christian listens to, right? 
That's exactly, the world is looking at it and they're saying what? They're saying, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does Jesus Christ look like? And verse 10 tells us, for we are his poem. He's working in us by our good works. When we do good works, the, uh, the Bible says that people, sees, people see the Christ in us. They see that we're Christians. He's working in us through the good works that we're doing. You want to be used by good work? By, by, I'm sorry, you want to be used by God? Then good works are essential. Okay, church? Not to be saved. Never to be saved. But because you're saved, you want to grow in Jesus Christ? You want to be used by Jesus Christ? You want the world to see that you're a Christian? Guess what? They are absolutely, positively judging you by your good works. Okay? They're not judging you by your faith because they don't know what your faith is. They can't, we can't see faith, right? But they're looking. And, and if, if, you're, if you're difficult at work, if you're that guy at work, they're judging Jesus Christ on you being a moron at your workplace. Are we allowed to say the word moron in the pulpit? I don't know. <laughs> but right? They see you working with your family and they see that you're difficult and you're unreasonable. And, and they see your relationships not working out. They see your, your, your marriage just falling apart. They're, regardless of whatever, the bottom line is the world is looking at how you're dealing with situations or looking at the good works. They're looking at seeing you show up and help out at a pumpkin fest. They're looking seeing you give the gospel. And you say, Pastor, I don't know. Are they really watching us? Do people really look? I think they really do. I think more than we realize. Uh, this past week, this past, it was last week, last week, we had a, uh, uh, an event here on Wednesday. And it's a national event. And it's called See You at the Pole. How many of you are familiar with that once a year event? Okay, Ch- uh, schools from all across the nation, probably all across the world, go out to their flagpole and they have a time of prayer around the flagpole. And millions of kids did this on Wednesday morning. Just all across the nation, they did it. And, and so we wanted to be part of it. And we don't have a flagpole outside, so we brought a flagpole outside. And, uh, and I want to show you some pictures, show some photos here of our day, See You at the Pole. So we'll take a look at some of these pictures. And so our Christian school kids went out and uh, we spent some time out praying. And the school kids led it. They prayed. They sang songs. They challenged us. They gave a testimony. Some of the adults were out there. And uh, we just had a a beautiful time. But you you do something like that and you kind of wonder, you know, does anyone really care? Does anyone even see it? Is anyone even paying attention? Well, let's just pause for a second and just think about just be honest for a moment, what God has given to us here, uh, this property. So we are on 36 acres, and as you know, we're on Interstate 94. Do you know how many cars pass in front of our building every month? Three million cars pass in front of this building every single month. So how do I know that? Because Luis sat out there the other day <laughs> with his clicker, and he counted. It was three million <laughs> No, that's what the uh, Wisconsin Department of Transportation rates for the traffic in front of our church. Believe it or not, they told us that. But, but uh, you say, so here we did, we did this event where we just prayed in front of the pole, uh, the flagpole, and, and the kids led it, and, and we had kind of a worship time together, and I thought it was just really, really special. Well, lo and behold, I don't even know this, I get a letter. We get a letter. Now, now I don't know, we were out there about a half hour. Well, it wasn't three million cars, but it was a few thousand cars that passed in front of our building, right? I think that'd be pretty pretty safe to say that. A few thousand cars pass in front of our building. And we got a letter. I don't even know who this person is. I really don't know who this person is. But someone wrote the church a letter. I don't know who this person is. All I know is that their first name is Jeff. <laughs> and uh, Jeff didn't give a return address or anything like that. So someone named Jeff. 
So I'm just going to read you this letter, and I want us to think about the context that people are watching our good works. We are his poem, creating Christ Jesus unto good works. God's going to use circumstances in our life. He wants to see our good works so that the world would see Jesus Christ in us. He's going to use our good works to make us more like Christ. Listen to this letter as I read it. It's a short letter. Hello, my name is Jeff. I'm emailing you to tell you that I'm impressed. Okay. I was driving by your church and your school yesterday, and there was a group of students and adults in your parking lot. This is so cool. They all had their hands over their hearts, and it looked to me like they were saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Wow. This just struck me as absolutely awesome! Exclamation mark. I just wanted to say thank you for setting an example. Now, church, pause for a moment. Let me stop on his letter just for a moment. We are here and we're visible to the community. Whether you like it or not, we are setting an example, good or bad, church, right? We are setting an example. People are judging us, good or bad. We're setting an example. Leaders set examples, good examples for people to follow, okay? I just want to say thank you for setting an example to those wonderful kids, and the next three words, and the community. You are setting an example to the entire community. Why? Because someone drove by and saw a bunch of kids with their hand over their heart saying the Pledge of Allegiance and praying, holding hands, praying to our Heavenly Father. And they say, wow, this is awesome. Your church is setting an example to the community of what the young people should be like. Every morning we say the pledge to the flag. We say the pledge to the Christian flag. And we say our pledge to the Bible. I think it's good. We're patriotic. We're Americans and we're Christians. And I don't think we ever back away from that. Amen, church? But the world's looking and the world drives by and sees a flag out front and sees all of our Christian school kids out there doing the pledge and praying to our Heavenly Father, praying for our school, praying for our nation. God bless you sincerely, Jeff. So you want to be used by God, church? Then good works are going to be essential because they're judging you. They're judging me, how we dress, how we act, where we go, what we wear, what you talk about, what you post on Facebook. They are judging you. The world is watching you. And God continues to work through you. When you're in His will, your good works, God is working through you to develop and create the poem, the song of who you are and your story. So church, let me ask this question. We'll get out of here. What are the unsaved people saying about you? What's the world saying about you? If the world were to ask about you, would they know you're a Christian? I mean, is there enough evidence to show that you're a Christian? To your neighbors, do they know? How about your coworkers? Do they? How about your relatives? How about your cousins? How about your, your in-laws? How about your, your, your uncles and your aunts? Do people know that you're a Christian? Are there enough good works evidence just to show that you're a Christian? Now, church, you are not saved by your good works. But it is by your good works that the world will see that you're a Christian. Okay, they'll see that. They'll see that by, by your love. They'll know that you're a disciple. So do people know that? Do people see that? Are you setting it a good example? When God's developing the story, the song, the poem of your life, just like he's doing in Paul, is your involvement, is that part of the story? Your good works, your time in prayer, is that part of the story? Or is that just totally absent from your life? Is it? 
You need to think about that. When we look at Paul's story here, and I think we just say, wow, this is just amazing. God worked an amazing story in Paul's life. And Paul's, it's not even over yet. <laughs> the best is yet to come. But God's still working behind the scenes, absolutely positively. And he's writing the poem, the song of Paul's life right here. And we're seeing him use all different parts and all different pieces to develop it. Church, if we're going to be part of God's plan, if we're going to be used by God, if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, then absolutely positively our good works are going to be essential to be used by him. Not for salvation, but to be used by him. Aren't you glad that good works aren't part of salvation? Because if they were part of salvation, every single one of us would be going to hell, (laughs) including me. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's absolutely positively nothing good that we do. It's, it's simply by believing that when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the sin debt for all of mankind's sin. And God says, you know what? Your faith is what saved you. It'll never be your good works because you can't do enough good work. You just never will. It's positively not. But you're saved by faith. God, Jesus Christ did the work so we don't have to. He died on the cross so we don't have to. That's the best news we could talk about all day, isn't it? All right, let's have a word of prayer, church, and let's be done today. Father... We're thankful for the story of Paul. We're thankful that you're working in his life and that we're able to read through it and seeing the the workmanship or the poem of his life being knit together. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that has never trusted in you as Savior. Maybe someone today is relying solely on their good works. Lord, it's not for salvation. Never was, never can be. It's not to get saved. Lord, after we're saved, we should be doing good things to show that we're saved, to show the world that we're saved, to show the world that we're followers of Christ. Yeah, but never to be saved. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. Maybe someone today, in the quietness of their mind, is trusting in you as their Savior. God, I realize I'm a sinner. I can't pay that sin debt. But today I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and saved me from eternity in hell, and I accept that as a payment for my sin. Would you give them just a special blessing, Lord? And Lord, would you challenge all of us? Would you challenge all of us? Just remind us, Lord, that the world is watching. They're not just watching the pastor. They're not just watching the pastor's wife. They're watching all of us, how we talk, how we communicate, how we text, how we interact with people, what we post on Facebook. They are judging you, Father, by what we do. Would you convict us and challenge us in some of these areas that need to be worked on? In your name we pray. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.